if I send a picture of a wound, it's so much better for the receiving doctor to be able to give me a consult than me trying to describe that wound over a phone call. And so I think what we see during COVID is that administrators of healthcare systems are more likely to be supportive of the frontline docs and you know support them with technology as well. Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. On this week's episode, I'm excited to talk to Dr. Daniel Pepe and Albert Tai about how healthcare is transforming. Over the past few months, our relationship to healthcare has changed, from telemedicine visits to wearing masks in public places. At this point, it's safe to say that our healthcare professionals have never been more vital. Dr. Daniel Pepe is creating the environment he wants to practice in. Not only is he a distinguished clinician and educator, he's the co-chair of a local working digital group and dedicated early adopter of technology that he believes will improve patient experience and outcomes. He's won numerous awards and accolades and is a trusted advisor to the healthcare industry. And Albert is the CEO of Hypercare, where he is working to tackle healthcare's archaic ways of communication, specifically coordination of patient care. Hypercare is a mobile and web coordination platform built for clinicians by clinicians to securely connect and collaborate patient care. And it's become all the more critical in a post-COVID society. Welcome, Dan and Albert, to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You know, you guys have a really interesting set of perspectives, having been in digital, in healthcare for the last handful of years. And it seems like we've been trying to bring digital to healthcare for decades with some success even before COVID. When you think about EMR and digitizing records, what was getting traction and delivering value when you think about how you, you bring digital to healthcare? I think when you think about bringing value to, to healthcare from a digital perspective, it's taking away a lot of the duplication. It's streamlining our ability to share information across platforms. And it's, it's allowing us to actually share information with patients and families where traditionally records were like locked in a doctor's office in a, a file folder somewhere. So it's, it's that opening of data and sharing it. But it, I mean, I think Albert knows and has probably experienced a lot more of that with, with your kind of platform and hypercare. Well, the document team, he likes to describe it as like removing barriers to patient-centered care, reducing the manual work that physicians, clinicians in general have to do. And also interoperability is a big, big portion, right? A lot of times the patient, unfortunately, because technology isn't really talking to each other in healthcare, they're the ones communicating all these changes in their care while not knowing exactly what's happening behind the scenes. And so what prevented that in, in the past? Was it a technical problem or a human behavior problem or a you know, aging docs who aren't interested in technology problem? It seems so simple when we talk about streamlining uh, information flow to improve patient care. Why hasn't it taken off before this? It's a culture, right? It's a decision that people are making in a conscious way. Because if you look at other sectors, you look at banking, banking is all online. You look at shopping, shopping is all online. How is healthcare any different? It's not. I think there's a cultural perception that healthcare is different, that the individual's privacy and security trumps our ability to interoperate the data. And it's just, it's not true. It's like a long-standing culture that's existed in healthcare for a long time. And I mean, one of my favorite podcasts that I listened to, one of the, the guys describes COVID-19 as the great accelerant. So it took all of those barriers that people were artificially putting up, which is, I can't share the data, I can't give you access to the data. If you want the data, you need a release of records. And it evaporated overnight. I mean, if you look at the virtual care adoption in Ontario, 
people weren't doing a ton of virtual care pre-COVID-19. And then there comes a billing code and there comes the ability and kind of permission for people to act and perform in a different way. And then overnight, I'm doing 90% virtual care in my office and 10% in person. So I really, really think it's like a human behavior, to your point, Paul, and a, and a cultural thing, less than a, a technology. Albert, you work in a world where um, you're thinking about all the more, more of the continuum of care across all the different caregivers. How can you get them all to adopt culture at the same speed and path in order to deliver those patient outcomes? Well, I think intrinsically, uh, one of the things that I feel like Daniel probably agree with is clinicians uh, fundamentally want to do what's best for patients. There, there are some exceptions, but they really, really do care about the patients. And over time, you will see a lot of hack together solutions. If they see the system itself moving too slow, for example, in this case of, you know, we're, we're in the communication space for clinicians. A lot of clinicians end up adopting WhatsApp and iMessage. They know it's not the best um, from a privacy perspective, but they know it's best for patients. If I send a picture of a wound, it's so much better for the receiving doctor to be able to give me a consult than me trying to describe that wound over a phone call. And so I think what we see during COVID is that administrators of healthcare systems are more likely to be supportive of the frontline docs and you know support them with technology as well. And then try to put pressure on privacy and security to move things along. That being said, I still agree there's a lot of barriers around that. Leads me to kind of the broader question about adopting digital or transformation mindset in the healthcare space, which is privacy and security. You know, both from the the regulatory agencies, wherever you might be, whether that's state or province or, or country, how do you deal with that as you think about what you're developing, how you're presenting that to the market, the problems that you want to fix so it will actually be adopted by clinicians everywhere? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of stuff is around making choices on behalf of your customers. So one of the CMIOs I was talking to in the States was talking about a large portion of making sure the software goes well in healthcare is a change management process. And, you know, when we first started building software, we allowed a lot of configurations like, oh, how long you want to store data for and, you know, uh, whether or not you want to show terms of service and everything like that. And sometimes when you do these things, it actually becomes over overanalyzed by your customers and they don't know what's the best choice and they have numerous meetings and nothing is moving along and even though software is ready. And one of the things we're doing now is like, as we see the spectrum of customers we have, we suggest a lot of decisions for them. That being said, they still might go along with another decision, but it's a really good starting point for them and they don't end up taking forever to make decisions. And also a lot of times we borrow things that our other customers thought about. So for example, when we deploy across multiple organizations, there's usually a leading organization that decides, you know, how long we want to keep the data for or the communication policy that all the staff members that need to fall under. And thankfully, one of our customers literally came up with that policy already. So we take that policy, we apply it to other organizations that need something like that. And so I think that's been super, super helpful as we scale. So taking other learnings from other deployments. So Dan, from your perspective, you know, you obviously have been on the leading edge of, of trying to bring digital capabilities into a provider perspective. What do you do with your patients? How do you help them uh, get ready for this, convince them this is the right way to do it, bring, bring them along, as it were? It's kind of an interesting thing because some people you don't need to bring along, right? So it, the analogy that we talk about in medicine is states of change and states of readiness, right? So if someone is ready to quit smoking, we talk about are they in the pre-contemplative stage? Or are they like even thinking about it? Are they in the contemplative stage where they're thinking about it? Are they ready for action? Or are they like already taking steps? And I think you can do the same and take that same mental model to digital transformation in patients. As some patients, if I said, hey, 
I'm going to start securely emailing you. We're going to use asynchronous messaging. I'm going to give you a digital copy of your record on app. They're like, I am there for that tomorrow. And I am, I'm down for other patients. I'll say, you know, I know you want me to fax that rec to the lab, but the problem is, is the fax, even on a good day is like 95% effective. And there's a chance that it could fail. And if I don't see that it fails, you're going to drive all the way there. You're going to wait an hour because it's COVID. And then you're going to get mad at me that the lab rec wasn't there. So can I email this to you securely and can you print it? So there's little changes where you can make with people and there's there's bigger changes, but really you just have to meet people where they are. Yeah, it's a fascinating approach because in some cases, I think I think your thought of, you know, how do you gently guide people along is the right way because if they don't adopt it and own it, they won't continue to do it. But then in February, March, all of a sudden that choice was made for us in a lot of ways, right? So how did that accelerant impact you know, day zero for you when all of a sudden it was, okay, well, we're not going to be probably seeing patients in the clinic and, but I still have a population of people that I care for and I want to make sure are, are, are in good step. What happened then? The magical telephone became the number one vehicle to deliver medical care. <laughs> um, it was, it was cool because a lot of people don't think of the phone as technology, but it kind of is. It's like, you know, older, but it's reliable and it works well. And so we shifted from, you know, a hundred percent in person seeing 30 to 32 people a day to phone calls for a large percentage of our care and then asynchronous messaging. And so phone calls were probably 70% of the initial days and asynchronous messaging was probably 20 or 30%. And then over time, like when I look at the stats in our own office, I was doing about 200 asynchronous messages a month pre-COVID and post-COVID I do four to 450 a month. So what we've actually been able to do is we've been able to augment the practice with a combination of technology, be it phone calls, secure texting, asynchronous messaging, and I've actually been able to expand my capacity to provide care. So I can actually care for more people in a day using technology than I could just analog seeing people in the office every day. And then when people do come into the office, because there's, you know, you can't see abdominal pain over the phone, you can't see certain types of bleeding over the phone. When you see them in the office, you actually have the ability to give them more time in person. And so that's been really interesting because what you realize is you can expand your capacity to deliver care when you use technology appropriately. And the other piece that we haven't touched on yet is there's an emotional connection that you have with patients that you develop in person that you don't realize you have until you don't have it. So it's more conditional than it's actually new behavior. Yeah, that's a great articulation. Yeah, very interesting. Albert, the pandemic exposed um, major weaknesses in the digital basics like telemedicine, contact tracing, patient record management, supply chain management. How do people prioritize those things? And then how does that start to make its way through the, the fix process? I would say from my perspective, obviously very biased here. One of the biggest problems that was exposed into the crack would be the communication piece, right? Um, and there's like a lot of different cases. For example, how do you send uh, prescriptions now to pharmacists who, you know, uh, traditionally accepted it from faxes? And a lot of these docs don't have fax machines at home. And so I think there's a lot of gaps around communication. I would say what's one of the big ones that we saw. And it goes back to the same thing. Health, healthcare record interoperability is such a big problem. As patients are moving between all these care settings all remotely now, uh, or sometimes physically, there's a huge gap where the patients are not able to share the record with the referring doc easily. And so I think as we move forward, I hope people recognize that this was a gap before COVID. It's just that when you add additional stress into the system, you just expose it more. So I think that's where people are going to start focusing more energy on solving that and making people, um, making providers of different care settings be able to communicate with each other easier. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Dandy, well, how about you? As you look at it from the other side of the mirror, what comes to mind? It's interesting. I think one of the challenges 
early days in COVID-19 that we faced was the fact that we had no lab capacity um, or very limited lab capacity, at least in the public health labs. And we had to figure out how we were going to test people in an effective way because the whole exercise of contact tracing and knowing who's a positive case and who they had uh, contact with is really contingent on the fact that you can turn that test around quickly. And so it became really, really important for us to pick the right people to test. And so being able to discriminate was important. And so one of the the kind of value add projects we developed early on was essentially an online self-assessment that mirrored the one that was done by the Ministry of Health in Ontario. But the differentiator between our self-assessment and the ministry's one is that we would actually connect you either to your family doc um, or we'd connect you to an on-call family physician if you didn't have one. So from an equity standpoint, we were balancing that out. And then what that allowed us to do is it allowed us to funnel and filter the population. So we would say, okay, here's a thousand people who are worried they have COVID-19 you know 800 of them have done the screener and those guys have said nope you, there's no risk of COVID-19 then there's a further subset that asks, gets asked another set of four or five questions and of that 20 people are going to actually get a virtual care assessment by a primary care doc so we were leveraging technology to say okay do they need an assessment yes they do for the people who needed an assessment we weren't immediately seeing them in person we were actually assessing them virtually and then based on those guys we were saying what subset of those people actually need a a COVID-19 test and then that would ensure that we were maintaining our lab capacity and so from a, a clinical standpoint that was where we were in early days and then of course you know the winds change and okay now anyone can have a COVID test who wants a COVID test and now you're dealing with the opposite problem in terms of operations you're trying to figure out how to ramp up your testing capacity how to maintain your lab turnaround times and then the challenge becomes how do we report these in an effective way and so the way that the ministry solved that in Ontario is they created a portal that would let people put in their demographic information and their health card and then pull their COVID-19 result. So it really depends on the criteria that you want to test everyone and, and see, or do you want to be very narrow and specific about who you test? And I think that's where technology can actually serve healthcare because it can help you do those quick pivots. But what it requires is a really clear knowledge of what is your workflow? What is your goal? What are you trying to achieve? Which a lot of docs would probably be like, well, you know, this is an art. This is my patient. I know my patient. And so as soon as you take that one-on-one art and you try to digitize it, scale it, and make it apply to an entire population, that's a totally different challenge than the way that I practice medicine one-on-one with my own patients. And so it seems interesting in, in that particular case, if you have control over the, you know, business value chain, right, you, you, you have the testing resources and you have all the access and things like that, you could make those changes very quickly, I would imagine. How do you do that in a world where it's a much more fractured healthcare system? Yeah, it's super hard because essentially what you're trying to do to solve the problem is you're trying to take a fractured supply chain and glue it back together. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, say, absolutely. Like, you're trying you're trying to say what are the most critical parts of the supply chain and so the the mental model that I was you know, sharing with people is like, this is a shield for our healthcare system because we know it's fragile, we know it's not integrated, and we know it's vulnerable to being overwhelmed. And so even if we don't have all the downstream components integrated, if we had the screening component integrated, then we could at least say, okay, yes, there's 10,000 people who want a COVID screen, but only 50 of them are going to make it through to the system. Um, where it could have been strengthened further is to say, if we could make all the downstream parties aware, then, you know, if Albert did a COVID-19 self-assessment that said you don't need a test and then he went to a walk-in clinic and they looked at the same online record and said, no, you already screened negative, go away. And if he went to emerge and they could say the same thing, that would really defend the system. We weren't able to get to that level of integration because there's only so much of that you can erode so quickly. Like there is a, a risk, I think, to breaking things too fast. 
So Albert, as you, you know, one of the, th- I loved in, in preparing for this, you, the reference to hypercare about fixing the archaic way of communicating and the, uh, you know, the pager example that you guys use. How is COVID changing your customers and the way they think about the solution that you're providing? Yeah, I think changing the landscape in general for our customers, um, a lot of it is just really a lot more growth in terms of communicating between different organizations, especially during COVID. So some of the cases we launched with is like, for example, we now are responsible for handling all of the care coordination between any hospital in GTA, like Greater Toronto Area, and then uh, physicians and clinicians that take care of the homeless population. And one of the things I, I really want to stress and really agree with Daniel on this is workflow analysis. We sit down a lot of times with our customers and understand deeply how they do the workflow. And I agree, a lot of times they don't even know. And you might need to talk to multiple different stakeholders for the whole piece to come together because sometimes the entire workflow from you know beginning to end for that patient, even within one organization, touches so many different providers. And once you understand that, then technology can really come in and decide where it can be automated or where can it help. Or maybe it doesn't even need a technology. Maybe it's just really improving the process. And that's totally fine. So one of the things we also try to do is, like Daniel said too, is like not to disrupt everything and change everything fundamentally because that sometimes that's just too difficult. And so I'll give you a really good case. is like when patients get discharged from emergency department and they have um, COVID, but they aren't uh, sick enough to be in the emergency department, but they're homeless. They can't just go back to shelter. They'll just infect everyone else. And so there's a lot of care coordination that happens between the hospital and this organization that takes care of the homeless population, which is like inner city health associates in Toronto. And so they think about setting up a hotel room and everything. And there's a lot of like social aspect to it. And instead of like trying to force the emergency doctor uh, also onto hypercare, we would just replace this archaic system by creating this phone number that the ED doc can call in and leave a callback number. But instead of going to a pager, it goes to hypercare and they can quickly, you know, call back that number. But within the organization of ICHA, you'll be able to use hypercare to communicate in real time on closed loop. And so that almost complements the existing world without changing everything. And from the receive, like the sender party, they don't even know that Hypercare is managing that whole care coordination because it looks like it's just a pager system. And so that's one of the things that we try to do. So it kind of slowly gets you to the new world without just like right away, big bang approach and it changes everyone's workflow and no one's really on the same page with it. Yeah, we grew a tremendous amount during COVID. There's a lot more stress into a system, a lot more need for communication uh, than before. Uh, we like 5X our revenue, we 3X our staff members, we 2 or 3X our deployment numbers. We're now in more than 60 healthcare organizations and customers just find more and more reasons to integrate into hypercare. Like during COVID, they built electronic medical record um, alerts to us. So if a patient has COVID and is rapidly deteriorating, it actually alerts the physician that is taking care of them and also the IPAC team, the infectious uh, disease team that the patient is rapidly deteriorating. And those are kind of things that we never imagined to do, but that makes a lot of sense for us to do, especially during COVID. And even after COVID, they want to do even more alerts over hypercare. And I think, Albert, you guys have a good example of how to do digital disruption in the right way. Because I think the word disruption, everyone's always like, oh, you're going to come in and flip everything over and destroy all the work that we've done. But to your point, you, you've complemented or augmented the work and you've done it in a, in a way that's kind of seamless and it's it's in the background. So it's working well for a population, but you're not going into the big hospital and saying, okay, that system you have is gone. Now it's this system and you got to figure out how to change it. You just over time encourage them and say, 
this is a better, more frictionless way to do the work that you want to do. And I mean, Paul, I think as a family doc, I look at all this technology and I'm like salivating going, this is going to be incredible. Like the, the amount of health data that you can actually accrue from patients using technology is way better than what I could have ever done pre-COVID. And I would say, like as an example, in my own practice, people with high blood pressure are much better managed now because I have them sending their data to me through the portal once a week. So I get the weekly blood pressure, which is way better than what I would have done pre-COVID. Because pre-COVID, I would have seen people maybe four times a year and have four discrete data points. And now I've got 52. So when I make a decision about changing someone's blood pressure med, I've got 52 discrete data points, which is a much better average. And so that's, I mean, that's a really low hanging fruit example, but that's the type of stuff that you can turn around to docs who are like, maybe I wouldn't even call it resistant to change, but they're skeptical of changing. And you can say, look, instead of seeing someone, you know, four times a year, why don't you take three of those spots, give it to somebody else, have them enter the data, have it automatically populate into the chart. And then once a year, you can see them for a blood pressure check. Like you've just created capacity in the system. And that's a, that's a good use of technology that enhances the relationship um, between the doc and the patient because there's always that risk that you create a bigger gulf using technology. So you've got to be careful. Looking forward, what do you think the, um, and this question for both of you, and Dan, if you can go first, what do you think the keys to, you know, these, these short-term, we, we talked about culture change management, workflow analysis. What do you think the keys to success to make digital truly real in healthcare are going to be? So I think one of the the big things is honestly humility um, and knowing what you can change and and knowing what you can't change and knowing what's a reasonable thing. I I think when I started, at least in the pandemic stuff six months ago, I thought, okay, we're going to change the entire way that healthcare is done. And I've been humbled by the system because the system said, you know, no, we don't want that dramatic of a change. Um, Consistency is another thing. So you've got to keep at it. You've got to stay at it. You've got to keep grinding. When someone closes the door, you look for a window. When they close a window, you look for a chimney. And you just keep looking for a way to keep moving forward because it may not be COVID that transforms us the whole way. It may start with COVID. It may pivot to mental health. It may pivot to chronic disease. And so you've got to have a wide lens of what that digital health stuff is going to apply to. Because if you have a one-trick pony, that's all it will be. It will be a one-trick pony and it will fizzle out. And the last thing is, and this is, you know, borrowing from lots of smart business people that I only read about in Harvard Business Review, what is the job to be done? Uh, So don't come in with a random technology and project, but really understand the user, obsess about the user, obsess about the provider, obsess about the patient, and understand where their pain points are, where their points of friction are, and then alleviate them in a way that doesn't create more work for them. And if you're consistently doing that, you're consistently looking at the job and you're understanding that, you know what, you know, I'm a tech company, maybe I don't know everything and you have that curiosity. I think that's what gets us into the future. It'll take some time to to get there. But I think what we've seen in the last six to 12 months is that virtual care is not going away. Sharing of information across care members is not going away. Patients having access to their records is not going away. And that 24-7 access to care is going to be a thing. Albert, what are the keys for success going forward? I'm going to put it as like a perspective of like like any software companies working in healthcare. I think the key to success here is, um, like Dan said, it's like really understanding exactly the workflow. So one of the things I did early on was uh, I shadowed physicians at the hospital, slept in on-call beds. Um, and then one other thing, too, that's really important is realizing how many different stakeholders there are. So, for example, like there's going to be the help desk that onboards and offboards people's credentials. There's a switchboard operators that 
figures out who's on call and reaches their clinicians. So I started shadowing switchboard operators. Even between different physician workloads, it's totally different from different specialties as well. And really deeply understanding that, like making sure you don't have like a narrow point of view, you talk to all the different specialists and understand their workflow. And so understanding that is super critical for software companies um, and especially getting key buy-in too. For example, privacy and security can autom automatically block a project and your project is dead no matter how, how excited everyone else is. And making sure you understand where they're coming from is super important. So for each different stakeholders, making, making sure that you understand their goals and needs and pain points to make sure that your solution and your pitch and your messaging is different for these different stakeholders who have different goals in mind. I think that's a, a really good way to wrap up where we go from here. So the last question I like to ask, and I'll ask it to you individually, uh, picture the end of the day and you're wrapping up some work. And um, I'm interested, what music do you put on when you're in that particular case? What band or song or general music do you like? Albert? I, I like beats and I just actually splurged and got a like $800 sound system. So I've been uh, listening to like house music um, and I just kind of like, I have a standing desk too. So actually sometimes when I work, I, I put it in a standing desk and I dance while I work and answer emails. So just making like mundane work a little bit funner. Dan, how about you? So I'm driving home tonight. I'm going to put on the white stripes. That's like a Friday office is done going home. It'll be white stripes or queens of the stone age. But tonight it's the white stripes for sure. Sounds like you're looking forward to it. Dan, Albert, this has been fantastic. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was um, I, I learned a lot and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time on a Friday. Likewise. Take care. Thanks so much. I enjoyed talking to the guys today. And besides some fascinating musical choices, Dan and Albert had some great insights. Four key points stood out to me. First, today's pandemic is expanding the horizons of healthcare. When COVID-19 hit, medical professionals were forced to augment their practices and think well outside the box. By supplementing with new technologies, many have been able to expand their practice and improved care. Second, digital workflows are connecting healthcare systems better. One of the biggest gaps the pandemic exposed was the inefficiency of connecting multiple medical settings. Think of your doctor sending a prescription to your local pharmacy. Now that same information is being sent online quicker and easier. Third, understand the importance of your stakeholders. When creating a new workflow, you need to consider how many people are involved in getting it off the ground. How will they react? Is it easy for them? Thinking about each person and their needs will help make the workflow more efficient and consistent. And fourth, never forget the importance of humanity in healthcare. While technology has a huge opportunity to reduce costs, expand access, and improve outcomes, there are things a physician is only going to be able to do with an in-person visit. And sometimes that just might be a hug. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look at some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Paul French, and I look forward to being with you next time.